the Arthropod. The Arthropod is the home for the wonderful, weird, wacky world of insects. Hosted by Jonathan Larson, Jody Green, and Michael Scabarla. Welcome back, everybody, to Arthropod, your entomology podcast. I am but one of your hosts for today, Jonathan Larson of the University of Kentucky. I am another one of your hosts. I am Jody Green from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I'm the last host today, Michael Scavarla of Penn State University. And much like an insect, we are actually uh, sporting sort of six legs today. The magic number is three. There are three hosts and three guests. And I'm going to ask our guests to introduce themselves, and we'll start with Dr. Janet Kintz early, if we can. I'm based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, and I have my own consulting firm, JAK Consulting Services. I'm a former corporate uh, world person, and I've had my own business for seven years now. We provide a variety of services, including expert witness work and pesticide registrations for manufacturers, efficacy testing, and CEUs. Very cool. Let's go with Shell next. Hey, folks, I'm Shell Hartzer with 360 Pests and Food Safety Consulting, and I work mostly with small and mid-sized pest control companies that don't have their own full-time technical entomologist and training department like the big guys do. So I have a scaled service that we meet their needs and give them all that troubleshooting help and training help and everything that they need just on the, the time frame that they need it. And I am based outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And rounding us out. Uh, with the the metal legs, I guess, in my analogy, will be Dr. Jennifer Gordon. Hi, I'm Jennifer Gordon. I'm the founder and principal consultant at Bug Lessons Consulting. And Bug Lessons was founded with the mission to make insect science accessible to anyone. So I work with a lot of different groups to tailor different entomological messages to specific audiences. So today's show is all about starting a business, starting a consulting business. And we are going to be learning about what consulting is uh, and probably about each of your journeys from one world into another. Uh, I know that there's there's lots of cool stories to be told here today. So I'm not sure which of you wishes to lead off the definition, perhaps, of what a consultant is in entomology, if anybody wants to tackle that one. I mean, I could try. You know, to me, a consultant is somebody with a specific kind of expertise or experience that a business or organization reaches out to because they need some kind of advice, input, uh, maybe project management, or some other purposeful activity that they can use that expertise and help the organization achieve. What would you hire a consultant for? Like, who hires a consultant? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of different people hire consultants. You know, I mean, for me, um, associations have hired me. Uh, for-profit product development companies have hired me. I've even done a little bit of work in academia to help with some extra writing that they needed to pick up. And I think it really depends on, you know, the need of the organization. Do they need to get something done faster? Do they have a specific need that perhaps they don't have the staff on hand to do? Are they overstaffed? Do they need like an external third set of eyes? You know, sometimes when we're in the muck of everything, we can't even see the bigger picture. That would definitely be another reason to hire a consultant. Yeah, lawsuits. So people who have been bitten by an insect or, you know, I had one one client, it was an attorney representing a nursing home and someone in the nursing home had maggots in their wound. So that was a fun one. I got to pull apart gauze with blood and maggots, rear them out. It was 
it was fun. Jennifer's right. Uh, there's a, a, such a wide variety of reasons that they will come to us. A lot of times it's they don't have someone in-house or they might have someone in-house, but this is a new area for them. Like regulatory registrations, you know, that's a little world all of its own. And, you know, you can look up a lot of it, but it takes the time to kind of spend in the weeds of, of, well, this actually takes six months, but they say four months. Yeah, there's a wide variety of reasons. I've, you know, I had a university hire me to, to explain how borate math, you know, for wood treatments. So I think we are a resource or a, a bank of knowledge that they can hire in and then they don't have to keep us. There's no overhead for that. Uh, I think that makes, sometimes it makes their life a little bit easier. I think too, it's, you know, letting people get back to doing what they want to do. I hire somebody to do my taxes because I don't want to do them. (laughs) People have cleaning services to come clean their home, not because they can't clean their home, because they don't want it. They've got better things to do. They've got things that they'd rather do. So same thing for a lot of the businesses that we work with. They've got other things that they would rather do that they're better at, that they can outsource some of this work to us because we may be better at it and we can take it off their plate and let them get back to some of those other things that they want to do. And so all three of you have your own companies, but did you know each other before this? I knew Janet and I knew of Jennifer. So she and I have kind of, kind of sort of passed before and, and same thing with Janet. So I knew both of them in passing, definitely. Yeah. And I knew Shell, but I didn't know Jennifer. But yeah, there's kind of a, a, we have a common goal that the three of us have kind of come together on. And it's definitely something in in process, but we are going to form our own company that's going to be called the League of Extraordinary Entomologists. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. And um, and we're going to use that platform to actually give CEU courses that people can sign up for. And we're going to put that on Teachable, which is a absolutely wonderful platform. So yeah, we're hoping to get that launched any day now. We've just got That'll a few logistics awesome. to work out. Yeah, I hope to help sort of lift that up and show that off to people in the near future. I'm curious, is the league also going to have a role in showing people that this is a career path for entomologists? I'm just kind of curious, I guess, about each of your stories getting into being a consultant, because I'm going to guess that like the seventh grade career fair, that this wasn't something that had a booth where they they were showing this off. So how did each of you become a consultant? And then how would you kind of pitch it? We have a lot of grad students that listen to the show. So why should some of them maybe consider this as a career path going forward? I mean, I think that's, you know, the, the advantage of being a consultant is you have some real world experience or quite a bit of real world experience. I think that's really important. I personally could not have just jumped into a consultancy, even with my real world experience after I finished my graduate work. You know, I spent 13 years in industry after my PhD. So that's really where I I got my legs. And I think a lot of it is I've got a family and my daughter has, you know, these figure skating goals. And so I needed flexibility in my schedule and I need to be able to, you know, if I want to work from 10 PM to 1 AM to get my work done, no one's going to be going, where were you at 902? For me, that was very important. I mean, it's, it's not a utopia. I think all three of us can, can talk about the cons, 
But, you know, becoming a consultant wasn't hard to do, but you definitely have to be bringing something to the table and you have to have a network. I mean, you're not going to launch your own consultancy cold. You, I had to tap into, you know, a lot of people that I knew asking them, you know, how did they start and how did they get known? And I always knew I wanted my own company. So, you know, in graduate school, I was always saying one day I'm going to have my own company. So I knew what I wanted to do, but I also knew I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ready. See, I'm, I'm going to disagree with, with Janet a little bit. It is super easy to start your own company. You give the state your 50 bucks, you get a piece of paper back, you've got your own company. The challenging part now is making that successful <laughs> and getting those clients and getting everybody signed up. Otherwise, 50 bucks a state, come on, how hard is that? But Janet's absolutely right. There's a lot of experience behind the three of us and a lot of diverse experience, which, which is super cool between the three of us, the, the different backgrounds that we have. For me, it was losing my corporate job and looking around, realizing that the big corporate companies had these resources, had these full-time people, but the small and mid-sized companies didn't have that resource. And I looked around and said, why? Why can't they have that resource? And kind of tapped into that, that niche and really wanted to help those small and mid-sized companies because they, they've got a lot going for them and I want to help them grow and I want to see them grow and get better and you know compete in their markets. So for me, it, it was the experience that I had behind me and plus that, that drive to help some of these companies um, and, and help them do better in servicing their clients because pest control is really important. Um, when you think of, of what it does for people. So if we can help companies do that pest control better, they can service their clients better, the whole world is better. So we're kind of superheroes, just just kind of. Hence the league part, right? Hence, hence the league. We're going to yeah. get capes and masks. Yes. You know? I'm gonna I going to say, wait till you just see the logo. I'll, I'm super pumped to see the logo. <laughs> for me, you know, it's kind of like what all three of you are saying, including you, John, because like absolutely nobody, you know, <laughs> put the consultant world in front of me when I was at Kokomo. But like Janet was saying, I did always know I wanted to own my own business. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with that independent streak. You know, I don't necessarily always like being told what to do, but you know, sometimes you have to be. But I remember in grad school actually telling people I'm going to be a consultant. And one of my professors came up to me and he's like, so what are you going to consult on Jennifer? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, this idea of being a consultant had been there for a, a long time. By the time I was finishing up my PhD, I did know that I wanted to go, I wanted to explore options outside of academia. I really loved academia, but I personally didn't know what work-life balance was or how to manage my anxiety yet. So that was certainly something that I've learned along my way. But, you know, I got these really great experiences in corporate and a common factor that I did was talk with different audiences. And whenever I would talk to those different audiences, I would have to tailor that message. And I realized that this was a lot of experience that I've had even before academia. I do a, a fair amount of these kind of like mentorship type panels. And I used to not talk about life before entomology, like something happened and I went into grad school and I just ignored all of my high school and undergraduate work experience. But it's only been in the last six months that I've realized that all of that experiences have helped me be successful in all of these different roles. I was the reporter and news editor and editor-in-chief of my high school paper. So there, you know, you're taking messages and you're hitting them with the big things first, and then you're narrowing down you're, you're not using big language. You're not being very technical. 
I have, you know, four to five years of retail sales experience. So anybody, I highly recommend anybody ever do retail sales because you will truly meet every single human being in the world. You will have the people who go to retail regularly, and then the holidays will come and you will have the people who never leave their house, who have to leave their house, who will come. You will talk to rich people and poor people. You will talk to men, women, children. You will talk to nice people. You will talk to not nice people. And you'll really figure out how you need to talk to them and answer their questions. And it really just gives you a lot of experience tailoring these messages. So I never even realized how much that experience in particular really set me up for success, especially when it came to communication. So after applying the skill of tailoring these messages to different audiences, to different experiences, you know, urban entomology, medical entomology, surface disinfection, fumigation, uh, service providers, marketers, sales, consumers, you know, you really have to know how to tailor these messages so that when I finally started my company, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people get their message out. I want to make sure it's impactful. And I want to make sure their intended audience understands what they're talking about. And that's what I've been doing. I've been having a lot of fun doing it. Very cool. Sounds like you need some seasoning maybe before you open the, your own business. Get a lot of other opportunities. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. For the audience, and I guess for me, what is a CEU? Because I've heard it twice now and I don't know what that is. Continuing education unit. So for pest control providers, um, if you are licensed through your state, um, just like a lot of licenses, you have to keep that license up. So you have to get so many continuing education units for a certain period to keep your license. Um, so with pest control operators, depending on your state, depending on your license, um, you may need a lot of those. You may need a few of them, you may need them every year, every three years, but they're continuing education units. Excellent. Do all three of you have backgrounds in entomology in grad school in some capacity, or did you come at entomology consulting like you got into into industry through some other route and picked up entomology there and then are now consulting? No, I got my master's degree at Kansas State University in entomology. I also have an undergrad in entomology from the University of Delaware, and I am a board certified entomologist in urban and structural through the ESA. And then same for me, um, my undergrad, master's and PhD are all in entomology. I really love insects. Yeah, same for me. I started out actually in undergrad working with entomology and absolutely fell in love with it. it Again, it's those life experiences you have. When I was an undergrad, I really thought I was going to be a geneticist. I knew I'd always be in science, but I thought I'm going to be a geneticist. That's what I'm going to do. And what I found out was I hate being cooped up indoors for hours on end, waiting for a gel to run that I still can't even read and that I needed to be outside. So from then on, it was it's entomology all the way through my PhD. Yeah. And I kind of want to expand a little bit on that bachelor's of mine. I actually started at Purdue as a journalism major and I had to take an entomology course. Well, I didn't have to take an entomology course. I had to take a science class and I did a lot of entomology as a child through 4-H and just, you know, playing around. So I decided to take an entomology course. And within six weeks, I was like, sorry, journalism, I'm out. Back to my original love. I was originally pre-med and I had to look up what entomology meant when I was switching my major to see what is this and can I do it? But same thing with, with Janet and Jen. I absolutely, that first entomology class just totally sucked me in and there was no going back after that. And one of the things that I think is just so cool about the three of you is that when I think about entomology, pest management consultant, I think of like competition but the three of you just seem so complimentary of each other and having not known each other before you went 
and started your own company to be able to work together and form a league is just so amazing. Why do you think that is? Is it personality wise or is it because you have a different niche for, you know, your clients? It was one of those things where um, Shell and I had been working back and forth on some small projects. And, you know, as much as I love to be in my own little insular world, I saw some opportunities and I knew that it would be better to combine with people of like mind, but varying backgrounds um, to some extent to to go on and, and work together. And, you know, there's plenty of work for all of us. You know, there are times when having a group of us is more powerful than any one of us alone. And I think it's just because we're all super freaking awesome. Yes. <laughs> Even though we overlap a little bit, we each have our specialties too. So there might be a little bit of competition with us, but to Janet's point, you know, there's so much out there and there's so many people that we can help. Um, you know, that competition aspect just doesn't even come up with me. I don't even think about that. Yeah, I agree. Like when it comes to the three of us, I don't think of competition at all. And one of the things that I love to tell people about being a consultant that I just did not expect is how supportive the entire community is. So, you know, we're here talking about entomology consultants and I want to stay on topic, but there are a lot of consultants in the world. There are strategy consultants, safety consultants, business consultants. You couldn't even believe it. Put in a word, attach the word consultant at the end, Google it. I bet you'll find someone. And when I launched my company, people started reaching out to me saying, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. How can I help? And it's just been such a heartwarming, soul healing experience being a consultant. And then, you know, I mean, for some of the project work I've done, especially, you know, one really large project I had, I hired other consultants too, because it's about putting a team together. You know, I may be the only current employee, um, full-time employee of Bug Lessons Consulting, but, you know, if you've got a big project, you can still get it done. And it's all about being able to pull that team together. And it's, you know, all these consultants are out there and very helpful, just very kind and wanting to help. You've mentioned specialties and I've heard a couple of things pop up here and there. Uh, I was wondering if each of you could highlight what you would think your specialty is. Like I've heard a lot of urban pest stuff and even education things, but like what are, what would be like the highlight service of each of your consulting companies? So, I mean, certainly entomology. And like, I think when we think about like the specifics of entomology, it's certainly insecticide resistance, urban pest management, medical pest management, vector control, um, a little bit of fumigation and surface disinfection. But outside of that subject matter expertise, it, it definitely is science communication. I've worked in a lot of positions where I've support, I've kind of sat in the middle of both R&D and marketing to help translate that information across. So creating compelling content, you know, whether it's going to be a podcast like this, a YouTube video, are you going to create a comic? Is it illustrative? You know, are you going to create text? How are we going to reach the audience? Because uh, one project I was working on, there was this really astounding thing that I ended up learning. And, you know, it's about literacy in the United States. So it's something like 14 to 20% of the U.S. population is, is functionally illiterate. And by functionally illiterate, I mean, if it requires being able to read, they can't use it. So that's one in five people. That's a lot of people. And when you, you know, kind of take a look at another statistic, you know, 50% of the population doesn't have or can't read above an eighth grade reading level. So again, as technical experts, what 
what reading level are we writing at? And often we find that it is above that eighth grade level. So, you know, I really have a skill and a gift that I've honed through time of being able to to create content that can reach an audience. But then it's also product innovation. And I think that's where you really combine that subject matter expertise in the science communication, because innovation can happen by creating something brand new. And I think that's probably what we all think of. But innovation also occurs when you take a current product and bring it to a new market, or you take a current product and, and find a whole new reason for it. Like how can you help it solve a whole brand new problem? So by being able to communicate the science, talk to people, figure out new problems, but then also combine it with that subject matter expertise, you know, I help a lot of different organizations be able to, to innovate and create new products and, and get those products into the hands that, that they need to be in. All right, I'll go. So I started out in the food industry. Um, uh, the company that I worked for, industrial fumigant company, specialized in basically food processing. You know, my strength lies in audited accounts and specialty accounts and the creative troubleshooting that you have to do. You know, when you have a food account that you can't use a lot of pesticides or you have a pharmaceutical account where you have clean rooms that you cannot get a bug in there. I've worked with museums and how do you deal with museums with priceless, you know, priceless art that have a mouse problem? Or how do you do deal with a zoo that's got animals that you're supposed to keep alive and you're supposed to get rid of these other things that aren't supposed to be there. So my superpower is definitely those specialty accounts and and the creative troubleshooting that has to go along with them. My superpower would probably be what someone coined me once is the pig to princess process. So there'll be manufacturers that'll come to me. They want to get their product registered and their data is just, it's there, but it's not, it's not compiled in a useful manner. Um, And I'm very good at taking that terrible piece of writing and bringing it to where it needs to be, where it will be acceptable for EPA. That's probably my biggest superpower. I do a lot of proof of concept work. So, um, you know, they have an idea and they need to see that it really works for cheap, you know, relatively speaking cheap. But I'll do that, you know, that beginning. uh, Yep, you've got something. Let's move on and I'll pass it on to the next person. So I'd say those are those are my two big superpowers. And I'd like to think public speaking is, but, you know, that remains to be decided. I've seen you speak uh, at the Nebraska Urban Pest Management Conference. I can vouch for you on that one. You are an excellent public speaker. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I like that you worked the superpower thing back in, too, with the, the league approach. I, that, that was a nice touch. Good podcasting on your part. <laughs> do any of you do laboratory work when it comes to, like, testing products? Yeah, I do. You know, it's part of that proof of concept. When we bought our current house, it was specifically because it had a basement, a really big basement. So it's not a pretty lab. It's not uh, fancy in any way, but it's functional. And I've had 10 graduate students, you know, from University of Tennessee down there with me cranking out data for eight hours. So yeah, a a lot of times it's going to be, for me, it's a lot of roaches, a lot of bed bugs, those are probably the biggest ones I seem to do just because it's it's easy for me to do that one. But I also do in the field, I do a lot of fire ant work. Um, I haven't done any laboratory work yet, but I have put at least one proposal in for field work. So it's certainly something that I'm open to and I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, I've never really talked about this with Shell and Jennifer is um, in some instances, EPA wants three EPA regions. 
for their data, or at least three states. So there may be, even though the league is not really intended to be part of that, we may end up hiring each other as consultants to partner in a project where, you know, we may need three different states of data for some specific pest or, or claim. So yeah, the overlap is definitely there. And it's, it's exciting to, to be able to tap into those kinds of, because to me, it's more resources. If I were planning a conference and I needed two titles, which would be the two titles that you would pick? So like, which talks do we want to give? Uh-huh. Because, <laughs> you know, it's always like, hey, Shell, can you do this talk? I want you to talk about pests on the bottom of mushrooms. And that's it. Like they tell you. So what would you want to talk about if you had the choice? I mean, how, how do you choose your two favorite children? It's it's just wrong. I would definitely say, you know, I, I like talking about audit accounts because I think people get very scared, um, you know, when the, when the word audit comes up. And one of my other favorites right now, at least, is I really like talking about rodents. I think there's a lot going on with rodents, a lot going on with rodenticides right now that um, I'm getting a lot of requests to talk about that. So if, if I have to pick my two favorite children, those might be my two favorite right now. Audits Can I have three children? No. Or has it got to be two? It's got to be two because Shell will pick two. Oh, man. Okay. Um, then it would be probably on integrated mosquito management. And I'll forego the one that I, I want to talk about that's technical, but I'm really loving helping people be better communicators. So like a, it's more of a workshop, like science communication framework. How can I help other people create their messages? Nice. Okay. So my turn. Um, I think my, my two favorite children would be the WDOs, primarily wood destroying beetles. I really enjoy talking about that because there's always stories related to that for me. And my other favorite would be the fungi. So not just rot, but also mold and how that impacts um, an urban structure. Because again, there's a lot of stories. And I think in that one, mold is so much a four-letter word in our industry. And yet, um, you know, it, it all revolves around water. So just bringing water into the picture. I, I can talk for an hour just about water. I think I saw that talk. It was good. You guys are all in three different areas and presumably aren't selling your houses and coming together to live in the same city. Like being apart and still forming a company and working together, like are you doing a lot of remote work or is it more like if Jennifer gets something, but she it's not something she works on, she'll pass it off to one of the other two of you to deal with? Um, do you do a lot of flying around to deal with companies in person? Can you talk about that? Because I, I'm just curious how that works when, when you don't live anywhere close to each other. Well, I think the first assumption is that the next business venture we're starting is a hippie commune and we're all going to live together and farm the land. I kid, I kid. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the pandemic has really highlighted that remote work is really successful. So as far as the three of us go, you know, it's it's all been remote work. And I would say even with my clients, it's all been remote work. I did attend one conference in person recently in March, but other than that, you know, for the past two years, my job has pretty much been been virtual. Yeah, I, th I think the pandemic has really shown us how much and how effective we can be with a lot of virtual stuff. Um, my travel has picked up significantly over the last probably six to nine months. Um, I'm going to visit more of my clients because they want me out there. And let's be honest, you can't virtually visit a food facility and inspect them. So when, when I get called out, it's it's to do inspections and, and to be at a facility. So 
Um, you know, a little bit of both with me, but yeah, with the three of us, there's just so much we can do virtually and so much that, that we can just keep going round and round and, you know, we make it happen. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing is we make it happen. Uh, you know, the, the pandemic showed you that all of us that, you know, it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of, of when, so, you know, now's a good time for the three of us to get together and, and overlap and start the league and, you know, really get education back onto our plates in a, in a bigger manner, you know, so we're available 24 seven on that aspect. Um, as far as traveling goes, I, I have, um, it really kind of depends. I go to EPA in Washington, DC sometimes for my clients to help with their registration process. But, um, I have gone to facilities and, and looked at them. Um, one time I got to go to Lowe's and look at their facility and, and try to help out with an issue they were having. That was fun. Actually, what was frustrating about that one was the Lowe's executive looked at me and said, well, you're an entomologist. So why would you come here to look at rodents? You know, it kind of reminded me how as urban entomologists, people don't realize that pretty much if it's under a roof, we know about it, you know? So um, that was a, that was a real eye opener to me is, is kind of getting that out there that, that we're the ones you call, there aren't that many rodentologists in the world. So like Shell, she's one of those people that you go to in our world, even though we're formerly entomologists. Expert witness work, I have been in court. Um, so obviously I traveled for that one. Um, some of it's been remote. Some of it's been local. They, they just ship me to a office somewhere locally and, and come see me. So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of all over the place, a little bit of everything. I have to be honest, it sort of sounds like being a consultant is being an evolutionary champion, like having the ability to uh, adapt to almost any like small niche situation that pops up. Like it is an interesting phenomenon that people don't always think about these really specialized problems. And there's not always necessarily a dedicated group of experts, you know, extension and researchers and campuses, like all this stuff. I mean, we focus on bigger profile things because we have to chase that dragon, but you all get the opportunity to to be to wear as many hats as possible. Almost is that a fair statement? You think, or is that how you feel like your life is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I know working with Shell and Jennifer, I've come to realize not that I didn't know this about myself, but I'm very much a bright, shiny thing person, more so than the two of them. So um, our conversations can, I can really find a way to veer us off another tangent and bright idea. And the two of them have been very good at going, okay, so what you're saying is this, but what we need to do is that. Um, so yeah, I love uh, the more hats, the better. Um, and so it, it's good to be around people who, who can say, well, we're just going to wear this hat today. <laughs> Does anyone else do expert witness? Uh, yeah. People have reached out to me for expert witnesses, um, but then they stopped talking to me. <laughs> You you were just too expert for them. It was yeah. it was just um, I, I've done two in the past, um, so I've not done a lot. Janet is is definitely the expert on that one. The expert expert witness expert expert. Because I know for extension, if we we can only go for subpoenaed, and mm-hmm. it scares me. I don't I don't ever want to do that. Like, do you, Mike? Uh, here, at least my predecessor did do expert witness work. He just had to claim it under whatever the income and it's not a conflict of interest or whatever. But yeah, I've gotten asked two or three times in one was a forensics one where they wanted to prove time of death. And I just, 
I could like I could probably figure it out, but I don't want to send somebody to jail because I screwed up and it scares me. And right. so I said no. And I also didn't know who who else to suggest that they go to. So I'm, for my own personal, like, do you do forensic entomology expert witness work as well, or is that? I don't. I, that's that's beyond my expert capacities on that one. Yeah, I wouldn't either, but I do know a forensic entomologist who has done it and does do it. So, you know, offline, if you'd like her name, I'd love to give that to you. Yeah. And other than, you know, getting specimens with blood on them, no, I don't do forensic either. And I think that's one really important thing. If you're going to do expert witness work, it's being able to feel comfortable saying, no, I can't, I can't help you with that one. Because, I mean, I'm never 100% certain about anything, but I have to feel a very strong confidence before I'll take on, you know, take on a case. So I know one time I surprised an attorney because uh, I had one case where I was defending a hotel and another case where I was defending someone who had gotten bit in a Airbnb. So they were very surprised about that. And I said, well, you know, here's why on this case, I could see this. And on this case, I could see that some people like to stay in one lane. I prefer to go with what I feel is defendable and, and, and meets the science. Well, that just sounds ethical. Yeah. And so I've had some attorneys who don't want to work with me, you know, because I won't bend the truth. That's my choice. I can't, I can't speak for other people who do expert witness work um, and how, you know, much they're willing to vary from their own. So have you ever been subpoenaed? Yes. Yes. I've done depositions which is, you know, you get subpoenaed for that. And I've won two, I've been to court for two. And I got to say, I I have to have a lot of sleep before I go (laughs) go into a courtroom because it's a lot. It's a whole lot. I find the attorneys, you know, they're really looking for shades of gray. Um, And so I do a lot of, would you please repeat that question? Sometimes I'll ask two or three times till I get a question I feel like I can answer. I had one attorney say to me, is that a professional behavior to, to do or something that was a, it was an emotional moment. And, um, and, and I, I regret not answering it differently now because that should never be called into question because I'm an ethical person. So however I handled that moment, shouldn't matter if I was crying or laughing, they, you know, they find ways to get in your head. You're not convincing me that I want to, to do that. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things, if you get one and you're thinking about it, I mean, call one of us, you know, feel free to call and say, well, you know, what do you think? Because there are some attorneys that everybody knows about and you're like, oh, you don't want to go up against them. So, you know, there's a little bit of knowledge that goes with that. And I hate to call it gossip, but I mean, technically it is. So I think you do your homework and you might find one that you go, yeah, I can definitely do that. What's the general rate that consultants charge? I mean, does it vary by project? Do you have a standard like I get X dollars per hour and it will take however many hours? Is that an okay question to ask? If you hate the job, can you like charge a million dollars so maybe no one hires you? There's also the PIA fee, you know, the pain in the butt fee um, that gets added on if if it's going to be that. Um, For me, it it varies. Um, And I I think it's going to vary with most consultants that it's going to depend on the project. It's going to depend on how much time it's going to depend on, you know, for some of them, like how much, you know, how much of my expert time are you taking with this? 
and working with the, the companies that I work with, um, I, have a, I have different levels of packaging for them that if they want just kind of the, the basic, if they want the advanced package or if they want the deluxe package, we have different pricing for that. So um, it, it's all going to be relatively based on that for me. Yeah, I'd say it's something similar. You know, it's definitely going to vary based on the project, based on the intensity of the project, you know, based on what they want to. But then also, I think one of the big benefits for me personally as being a consultant is that I can pick and choose the projects I want. So to your point, Jody, yes, I will absolutely, if you want to give me a million dollars, let's see what I'd be willing to do. But on the flip side of that, you know, are you a nonprofit? Are you not making money? Do I believe in the mission of your thing? Well, in that case, you know, I do budget a certain amount of kind of like, I guess I'll call it pro bono work that I do because I like being able to contribute and give back. And that was, you know, for me personally, one of the biggest things that was missing from corporate is just being able to help. So it really depends. Yeah, I think it depends on the timeline too. If you need it by tomorrow, trust me, it's going to cost you more. If you need it in a month, you know, we've got some more time to work with. So there's also the timing aspect of it. Yeah, I would agree. It varies quite a bit. Any kind of research, you know, if it's the proof of concept work, that's going to probably be easily under a thousand dollars because it's, you know, a few hours of my time. So it's, it's, I'm going to make that very affordable. If it's uh, a GLP like study. So GLP is good laboratory practices and that's a, that's an EPA requirement. So if it's going to be GLP like, uh, that's going to cost more. If it's going to be an actual good laboratory practices study, that's the deluxe plan. Um, it's a lot more work and time and organization. Uh, so that one costs a lot more. I don't really, I don't do GLP because of the complexity of it. And the expert witness work, yeah, I've got a flat rate for that. So there's a, a, a reasonable, I'll say, rate for uh, the research, writing a, you know, a response. Uh, depositions cost a little bit more. A courtroom costs even, even more. That's definitely the deluxe package there. For the regulatory, yeah, I don't know if I'm comfortable putting it on there. I, I will say some regulatory companies do charge over $300 an hour, some over 400 and I am less than that. Um, <laughs> that person that I really don't like to work with, would I charge them more? Probably not. I just probably won't take the job. You know, if they're, if they're an aggressive personality or an angry person, I, I don't really want to work with you. Is this a place where the years of experience you have in the industry helps? Like, I imagine, like, I just came out of my PhD. I'm going to be a consultant. I have no idea what to charge. And so I'm either way undercharging and being taken advantage of or like way overcharging and nobody will hire me. Does, is that a place where the, your experience helps? Well, I think it's like going out to dinner. I mean, you can go to McDonald's and get a very decent meal for cheap if that's what you want. Or you can go out to a steakhouse where the chef's been working for 10 years and, you know, learned his trade in Paris and, you know, you're getting the most wonderful steak of your life. What do you want? Um, you know, and it all comes down to that. And, you know, what our customers want sometimes is something that may be on the lower end. Maybe they want something on the higher end. But with the three of us, we have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge behind the three of us. So none of us are going to be cheap because we're worth it. Yeah. And I would say networking was, it, you know, for someone who would want to consider that, you've got to tap into your network. So, you know, seven years ago, I was contacting the Paul Hardys and the Austin Frischmans of the entomology world. 
because they were consultants and they were amazingly generous with you know their pricing and their rate sheets and that was a huge help because it gave me a starting place where I said, well, you know, I'm not a Paul Hardy or an Austin Frischman, so I'm not going to charge that much, you know, but also understanding that as my experience grows, that those, those rates go up, you know? And so that's one thing I definitely try to give back on is when someone says I'm going into the industry and, you know, consulting, what do you think? And I'll answer as many questions as they have and I'll send my rate sheets. So you, you know, you can see where roughly where things go. Kind of on that topic. So you're absolutely right. You know, experience and skill certainly dictate the price, but I kind of want to talk like it's not just the experience and the skill. So, like, as a small business owner, you know, you have to think about where every dollar goes. So, it's like, you know, if you have $1, only 50% of that's actually probably going to end up going to me. 30% is going to go back into the business. 15 to 20% is going to go into taxes. And even if I'm taking 50%, you know, I'm not saying, like, okay, I have made this million dollar contract. I now have $500,000. The world is my oyster. Let's go live it big because there's going to be months when you don't have work. So, you know, I have myself a, a flat yearly fee, or I guess salary would be the word we use. I have a salary that I pay myself and I try to have a little bit extra in there in case work isn't great, in case I want to go take a vacation, uh, in case I want to, you know, dedicate my time to that, you know, nonprofit. So, you know, when you see that dollar sign, there's a lot that goes into that dollar sign, really. Jennifer hit it spot on, you know, uh, cash flow can be unpredictable. You know, you, you might have a client that's a retainer and then for whatever reason they can't they can't hold up that contract anymore. And so that retainer money is is not there the next month. So yeah, that's that's definitely that money that they pay us, it's not just, yeah, it's not us getting rich quick. It's paying for our knowledge, paying for the overhead of running your own company. It's it's actually very high. It can be expensive to have your own company. I've learned a lot about finance in the last year and a half that I never thought I would or wanted to, but I kind of like it now, I guess. That would be scary for anybody kind of starting into the consulting business. The, oh, I got paid a lot this month and now I have like three months of not getting paid anything. I guess, can you speak to that in, I don't know, as you establish the business, does it get better? Like you get more steady work because your name gets out there. You know, I have no idea about consulting and I can imagine a lot of our listeners don't. So I guess... Can you speak to that boom and bust cycle and, and how that affects what you do? Um, I'll tackle that one first. You know, I really didn't have very much of a boom bust issue at all until the pandemic. And because probably over half of my work is regulatory um, and my clients are small entrepreneurs with, you know, big ideas, they weren't selling product. And if they're not selling product, then they're not going to be paying me. And so that was kind of a shock. I thought, I thought that we were going to be always safe no matter what was going on in the world. And that's not necessarily quite the case. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I've never really thought about it. I've always been kind of a scrappy worker as far as that goes. So if the money isn't coming in the way I wanted it to one month, I might, you know, do something else small and odd. That's not what most people would want to do. But yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the only con is that it can happen. It's rare, but not all months are the same amount. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. Jennifer and Janet had it all. 
So I talk to a lot of different consultants. My um, my wife is a consultant too. She's a strategic consultant, so very different than what I do. So as long as we've been together, I've seen what consultancy looks like. So I've talked with a lot of different consultants in a lot of different fields. And, and they've talked about, you know, they call it the agony and the ecstasy, the boom and the bust. That's part of why, you know, when I started this, I'm like, this is the salary I'm going to give myself. I can live on this. You know, it gives me months out so that if there is like a big dry spill, I don't have to worry about it too, too much. I will say though, that I also, well, I guess there's two things. So I knew that I wanted to do this. So I was also deliberate in saving money so that I, I didn't know how long it would take before I was able to live on being a consultant. And as it turned out, you know, it it was almost immediate for me that I've been able to sustain. So I've got, you know, that money set aside, but you know, I do a lot of stuff. I love entomology. I also love antique jewelry and vintage furniture. <laughs> so I make lots of jokes to people that if this entomology thing don't work out, I'm going to just open an antique store. And surprisingly enough, you know, like running flea market, I don't own an antique store yet, but, you know, doing flea market booths and, and flipping furniture and, and fixing up old antique jewelry, like it also supplements. And I'm kind of getting to a point right now where like, I really love doing that. Whenever I travel, I try to go to a place where I can possibly get something new. And this, you know, bug lessons is amazing. And I'm finding that I'm not having as much time to do that as I want, but I do have on the calendar, May 7th for all you Denver people come to the horseshoe market. I'm going to have my first booth in Denver. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I, I digress. <laughs> well, speaking of some like weird, fun, odd projects, If you could tell me about a project that was unique and interesting. She wants the dirt, the tea. Give us the heart. The weirdest weirdest thing that's happened to you. Like ever? Or like, I mean. Whatever you want. (laughs) I don't know if this is weird, but I will say the most challenging one for me and the scariest one for me is starting my YouTube channel on whining about pest control with Shell. It was absolutely terrifying to, I I mean, I've been on Zoom calls for what, two years now? You would think that being in front of a camera was nothing, but to to videotape those and to get my glass of wine and and put those up for the very first time, it was absolutely terrifying to me and um, definitely a challenge because it's outside my comfort zone. As much as I do presentations and as much as I do Zoom, for some reason, this was just totally different. So yeah, that's my weird and wonderful one. I feel you on that one. I remember that feeling when we when I started the podcast. There's no energy. There's no feedback. You're like, I don't know if this is working. Uh, and then people might say something about you or the thing that you made on the internet. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I sympathize with your plight. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Shell. Um, doing an online school is not like in person at all. You don't that feedback is is not there. That's hard. But but there may be some ways that we're going to be able to work around that to some extent too to get that live feedback. So. We haven't even discussed that yet, but uh, again, uh, bright, shiny things. Um, but as far as like the tea, I think other than the the one with the bloody gauze, which, you know, like I sat outside, I wore a mask, I had gloves on. I was like, you know, th- th- it was still like, yeah, it was, it was definitely um, not dried out yet. So that kind of freaked me out a little bit. So that was kind of, eh. um, but you know, on the other side, I have one client who said it was okay for me to mention them by name. It's uh, Earthkind, and they have retail products, repellents. Um, and they did a whole program called Harmony Heroes, where teachers could be nominated to be a Harmony Hero for that month. And to be a Harmony Hero to qualify, they they had to do something about nature or 
specifically the monarch butterfly and pollination that had to be something in that. And they had to send in videos about how they interpret that in the classroom. Um, and, and there are just so many amazing teachers. There was a teacher that built a tree house in her classroom. And I mean, there was something that I went, I want to go back to fourth grade. And one lady who actually speaking at the ESA conference in November, she uh, she's a Spanish teacher. She also teaches entomology and she incorporates that into theater. And so she has this whole play thing that they do about about monarch butterflies and the the migration and going to Mexico. And then they send this to a sister school in Mexico. And I mean, I was just really honored to have, I mean, I got to pick the grand prize winner, you know, I had a committee that helped too, but you know, that was amazing. And they, she, and and the owner of Earthkind, they, they went down to Mexico to see the migration with the, um, oh, I can't, is it natural habitats, a big touring company. And I've just, I was just in awe. It was a, that was a huge prize package and, you know, to give back to teachers that way, because there are our next entomologists potentially in our world up and coming in the next 15, 20 years. So to see the people who are out there, it was just, that was amazing. That was probably one of the coolest things I've done so far as a consultant. And I got paid for it. Uh, one of the, the coolest things that I've gotten to do so far is work with the American Mosquito Control Association and update their best practices for integrated mosquito management manual. And that was a lot of fun. This was a huge CDC funded project that really got me to use a lot of my different skills, uh, writing, science, communication, a lot of other different skills that, you know, I don't, we haven't talked about here, but I got to work with a lot of different leading industries in the field or a lot of industry leaders in the field, individual interviews. So these might be called consumer interviews. You know, we have a study guide and walk them through the questions, gather that information. I got to use some new online tools. So we actually did a very large online workshop with different activities um, using a tool called Mural, and that was a lot of fun. And then writing the manual, editing it, creating new chapters, and then working with a designer too. Because again, you know, effective communication is so important about design. And you know, I think the, the coolest thing about it is at the end of the day, there's this amazing free training resource that's out there to build the capacity of the nation's vector control uh, workforce. But it's also, you know, this amazing resource for anybody who's interested in mosquito control. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, I've got some interesting projects coming up that unfortunately I can't talk about quite yet. Um, But I'll say one of my best is uh, one of my clients that I currently work with. uh, We started about a year and a half ago and he had he was running two trucks, uh, three trucks, including him. So he had himself and, and two employees. And in the last year and a half, he has more than doubled his business. He's up to six technicians plus himself. And he not only um, got a huge contract with one of the fast food restaurants in his area for 60 different stores, but he's also um, getting into a lot of uh, small food accounts, which are are pretty profitable. So I know that I wasn't, you know, 100% the reason for that, but I was a big part of that. And it feels great to watch his company grow and to watch him employ more people and protect more food and protect more homes and protect more people out there. So that's, that's my hooray. I think mine would be, and I got permission from this client as well. There's a new product that's it's, it's at EPA, but what's really neat about it, I love the clients that are innovative 
you know, really thinking outside the box. So there is a mosquito trap coming that is biodegradable and it's not plastic biodegradable. It's cardboard biodegradable and will kill mosquitoes um, to lower the mosquito population. And it's, it's going to be a retail product and we're just waiting for EPA to stamp that product so we can, he can get it out on market. But I think that's one of the coolest things is to see somebody who says, well, why does it have to be that complicated? Why can't we have a cardboard pot that can kill mosquitoes and they can leave it in six weeks. It breaks down. There's no toxicity to the soil at that point or, or anything else. And set it and forget it instead of like having these plastic ones that are like breaking and falling apart and nobody picks up the plastic, you know? So I think that's one of the coolest things is to see people come with these amazing ideas and to try to help them get that product out. There's so fun. Greenlit is the company that will be coming out with that product. And it's available in other countries, but not in the U S yet. That sounds very cool. I do like the, the zero waste kind of idea uh, that we're trying to move towards as a society. We, as Arthropod, wanted to say thank you for coming on and helping expose our listeners to this really cool career path. I uh, know that I had no idea about it when I was a student. I've met a lot of consultants ever since graduating, but uh, this was very enlightening for me just to hear what you all are up to and what kind of possibilities are out there for people uh, if they were willing to consider this. So thanks for thanks for your time and thanks for exposing us. We did want to offer the chance, uh, where can people find some of these different things that you've talked about. I heard about a YouTube show. Uh, we heard a little bit about LinkedIn, but do you all, I, I've been to your websites, but can you all start telling our listeners about your websites? Maybe we'll start with Janet. Yeah, I can be reached at um, jakconsultingservices.com. So you can find me there. I find that sometimes the email, you know, to send me an email doesn't always work. So just type in that email address that's already on the website you know, or, or call me, my number's on the website. So feel free to call. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you don't mind seeing skating videos and photos of my daughter, then you can also find me on Facebook. Pretty easy to find. I am at shellhartzer.com and my email is shellhartzer360 at gmail.com. I am also on LinkedIn. I think I might be the only shellhartzer that shows up, so it shouldn't be too hard to, to find me there. And I have a YouTube channel called Whining About Pest Control with Shell. And yes, I do drink wine. We will definitely include a link to that in the show notes. With a drinking list, maybe, uh, if you if you want to provide that. <laughs> Can you provide which insects pair best with what wine? You know, I am I am sort of pairing it up. So I mean, if you watch them, there's there's a reason I pick like the, I'll give you a, a freebie here. So next Friday, when I post my next one, it's going to be Houseflies. So I'm drinking my standard house wine, which is a Chardonnay. So yes, it does get paired. Nice, I love it. And for anybody who's interested, you my website is www.buglessons.com, or you can reach me at Jennifer J E N N I F E R at buglessons.com. And as for Arthropod, you can find us online. We are Arthro underscore pod show on Twitter. We are arthro podblogspotcom uh, We would love to hear from folks about what they think uh, of the episodes lately. If they've got any ideas for new ones to come up here in the near future. Uh, and if you find us on any of your favorite podcatchers, we're on Stitcher, Spotify. You always have to include the dash in the middle, arthro pod or you won't find us. Uh, but if you do include it, you'll find us. You can listen and you can rate and like, and subscribe, and leave a review, all those wonderful things. We do appreciate it. Uh, I am also on Twitter. I'm at Bugman John. I'm at Jody Bugsme, UNL. And I'm at mscavarla 36 Thanks again to our guests. Catch us uh, in another couple of weeks on another exciting episode of Arthropod. 
It's time for our insect heroes to put away their nets and pheromone traps. Join us next time, same bug time, same bug channel, as the Arthropod Gang make the world safe from poor insect podcasts. Until then, keep on bugging. Did you see that look people give you when you realize you're not doing something normal and you don't realize it until you see other people emoting at you? I just try not to care anymore. That's that's Jody's whole life. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 